Good evening out there in internet land, all you lovely lads, lords, ladies, lemmings, anybody that listens to this. And welcome to Thoughts in Traffic. I am your host, Tony Spears, and this is the show where sometimes I'm just literally spouting off what I was thinking, stuck on my way home from work. Sometimes I just come up with it on the fly because I just have a weird day, kind of like today, where I thought I was good. And then all of a sudden, I realized I had hit my like in public social battery limit, and uh, I had to leave Walmart very quickly. And then some days I am graced with a guest, and today I am luckily graced with the very uh, fashionable by his image here. Uh, very some gray hair. I thought I had hair, but that mm, that is. That is some. That's uh. That's Patrick Bateman, right? Oh, that's my own spin on a mix between yeah, like a hybrid and like Roddy Piper from They Live. You know, I had the shades with like just whatever I felt like. Uh, just say it as an OC, but yeah, I could definitely take inspiration from Patrick Bateman and Roddy Piper. I'd say fusion between them. Yeah, it it looks like the uh, it kind of looks like the was it the Dale. Uh, I can't remember that that AI engine is called. Anyway, it looks like a, a nice little fusion between the two. But anyway, I am graced with the uh, presence of one Sola Requio. Sola, how are you doing today, man? Hey, doing well. Thank you for having me on the show. So, I, you know, like when we were getting things cooked up before uh, before we started, you uh, you asked to not, uh, you know, be on camera, which I totally get. Some people don't want to be on camera for a myriad number of reasons. But when you had told me, you're like, yeah, I'll just send you the image that I'm I'm currently using. And then I saw it, I was like, oh man, this is actually like this is this is actually pretty cool. I, I like how it's like the it's like American Psycho meets they live uh meets like synthwave. It's it's actually pretty nice. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, it's one of my fusions. So for anyone who knows me, I'm a very big Carpenter fan, and I believe he's one of the greatest directors up there of Wes Craven. And I've always been just a cinephile for their work, but definitely the profile picture. Another reason I prefer to use it over my real identity, I like to keep my online life separate from my personal. And I thought it was a good fusion of things I like. You know, I really like Symphony of Aesthetic and Arts. I really enjoyed reading American Psycho. That was a good book. And I also enjoy, you know, like I said earlier, anything has Carpenter on it. So, what is your opinion on the on uh, Christian Bale's? uh portrayal in uh american psycho like like do you feel like it did it did the story justice so it's really interesting and the director of american psycho even talked about this where it's a difficult novel to translate over to a movie because the book goes into more in almost an alice in wonderland-esque ideals where you go into the head of you know the main character where it's like, okay, Patrick Bateman, like what's he doing here? What's he doing that? And like, what is like reality and what's like a fantasy going on in his mind. And that's kind of hard to translate over to the screen. And that's what the novel did best because it let, left it to the reader's interpretation where you're asking yourself, okay, where's this character going with this basically? Hmm. And there's a lot of theories around that. Like, okay, did Christian Bale, did he kill anyone the entire movie? Did all those kills or exist, or was it partially in between? I'm led to believe where he did kill people in between, like let's say the homeless man in Alley, 
where he told him he smelled like shit and to get a job and he stabbed him with a pair of scissors. I believe he did kill that person. But other scenes like when him running down a hallway naked covered in blood of a chainsaw, that's obviously symbolic too. His deep depravity for, you know, intense violence, gore, and like pornography and leading him to be like the psychopath he is. Hmm. Interesting. I so to be perfectly honest, I've only seen the movie once, and it was quite a long time ago. And the thing that I remember from watching the movie was thinking that like I don't know if I would have enjoyed the movie if anybody else had had been cast besides Christian Bale. Like He's the kind of actor that... Normal like, actor, definitely. I'd agree. Yeah, like, he's the kind of guy that just throws himself into a role so wholeheartedly and, like, and like literally sacrifices physically in some ways to where, like, he's getting the... probably the purest performance out of any actor as far as, like, for that role, right? And so that that was the thing I took away from it. It's like, I don't know if that movie would have been half as good if it had really honestly been anybody else. But I'm glad to, I'm glad to hear that you that you like it. And it definitely it definitely sounds like you know what you uh what uh what you're talking about as far as your your cinephile chops, which I appreciate. I used to be much more of a cinema junkie back in the day, you know, when I still had a myriad amount of free time, but now anymore, if I have to if I have to choose between like watching a movie or playing video games in my downtime, I'm probably, I'm going to pick video games like nine times out of 10. So no, it's understandable. I'd always say that I'm a man of many hobbies, not talents, hobbies, because I enjoy a lot of things, but I'm not good at them at times. So it's amusing because in my friend group, you could ask me a question. It'll be some niche topic and I may have like a, a vast wealth of knowledge on said topic. So my first passion and love comes to reading above all else. I currently possess around 500 physical novels in my room, and I've been purchasing them since I was, I'd say, in 10th grade. Nice. And that's been something I continue to do, and I enjoy just reading first above all else, and then I'd say cinema second. So you said that Carpenter is your favorite director. Who is your favorite Arthur? Arthur, sorry, not Arthur. My favorite Arthur is Pendragon, personally, but go ahead. Um, That's a tough one, so... If we're talking about what genres of literature, I would say for nonfiction, that'd have to be Cormac McCarthy. Specifically, novels like The Road or Blood Meridian were very predominantly done. If we're talking like, you know, philosophy, I'd have to say give that one to either Aristotle or probably Jung, because I enjoy um, that field of like archetypes and psychiatry to the human psyche i found it to be very interesting but russian authors too i enjoy russian literature i'd say um i'm gonna butcher his name and please apologies for that but it's hard to pronounce it's dostoyevsky hmm. or dostoyevsky i believe is how you properly enunciate it but i'm not russian <laughs> right on see i i i like certain i like specific genres of literature i'm not I mean, I love Stephen. Like, I've read basically everything Stephen King has written. As far as other authors are concerned, I can't say that I'm like real big on other ones. Like, I've read a lot of like Terry Pratchett. Um, I read some of Neil Gaiman stuff, and I I really like their their like catalog of books. Like, obviously, the Discworld series is like you know not only world renowned but like loved by many, and so it's you know one of those things where. If you have like even a middling 
interest in like sci-fi or fantasy, you're probably going to read Discworld at some point. Um, but as far as like a catalog that has what I consider like a pretty wide breadth, like Stephen King is probably the one that I lean toward the most just because I, I had never written, sorry, I'd never read any of his stuff until I read Pet Cemetery. And then I was like, this is freaky. I like this. And then I just read the whole thing through. And then I remember one day I was at a Barnes and Nobles with my aunt and I saw the gunslinger and I was like, Oh, Stephen King. I like that guy. And then I started reading that and that just led me down the rabbit hole. And that was basically it. But aside from that, I, yeah, I'd say also myself, I'd have a decent collection of King's work. Um, Funny enough about that. I was joking around with my friend earlier. You brought up gunslinger. That's currently on my reading list that, I'd say it is one of the few notable Stephen King's work I have yet to get to 100%, the, which I'm kicking myself for that. My friend is as well, so I need to get around to reading it. Yeah, the the Dark Tower, like the Dark Tower saga, as as it's told, is probably one of the greatest feats of literature I've ever read. Like, and only because, like Stephen King read uh, wrote that in like over the course of so many years. And in between each, you know, different books and everything, he was uh, he was writing other works. Like he wrote Salem's Lot. He wrote, um, oh hell, uh, he wrote uh, Needful Things. He wrote, um, I can't remember the name of that anthology that has like Shawshank Redemption and The Apprentice and a bunch of other ones. But anyway, like he read, he wrote so many books, and then in in that time he just found a way to like incorporate all those other stories into the dark tower. And so when you're, when you're reading it and stuff, like you can ne have never read any of Stephen King's other works, read the dark tower and still be like, that's a great series of books. I love that. But if you have read his other stuff and know like specific characters and locations and like different events that have happened and everything, like you start to see, where the threads start to intertwine and then it's like by the time you get to the fourth book it's just like mind-blowing you're like what the hell like how how do you keep this together like that's the thing that blew my mind and you know with a lot of other uh authors too like like i said i mentioned Discworld. like the fact that these that so many of these great authors can keep not just like their facts together for continuity's sake but like you know different details about locations and like events that have happened and stuff that happens to characters and, and things like that. It's so crazy to me every time when like I'll read something and like you just witness the continuity happening. And I imagine they have to have some kind of like little notebook that has like all these notes about like, here's what happened to this person and you know, at this place or whatever. Otherwise it gets so jumbled and you could possibly like, what's the word, you know, you could possibly like contradict your own work and everything. It's, you get lost in the sauce, basically speaking military terms. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You start, yeah, exactly. You start, you know, <laughs> making up your brief as you're, you know, what was it uh, briefing by exception, as it were. You just funny like you yeah. mentioned that because different authors have different strategies. Where J.R. Tolkien, for example, would sit by a willow tree he really enjoyed, and he'd smoke his pipe, and he would literally look at clouds or random things around him. And think of a funny name of what it would be if he doesn't know a name of it already. So an example, if he saw a tree, he would think, okay, let's say for an exercise, I didn't know it was called a tree. What would I name it? Hmm. And that's how you get 
such a large array of different characters and different archetypes and names within the works of Middle Earth. But I know for George R. R. Martin, though, for the Game of Thrones series, he actually does have like um, an absolute schizo. He is an entire cardboard on his wall where he has little notes and pins and like photos of like like sketches of characters. He's like, okay, I want to put this person at House of Lannister. I want to put this person in the House of Stark. Huh. Or I'm going to put this person, and he'll do that before he writes, but yeah. for Stephen King, like we were mentioning on, funny enough, he actually has an insane regimen. I don't know how he does it, but he's been doing it for 35 years now, where he writes 10 pages a day. Mm-hmm. 10 pages a day where he just writes, and I'm like, for anyone who's into writing, I'm sure many of us, especially if you go through college at all, you struggle with writing like one page basically or 500 words on there for like an assignment. Meanwhile, you got guys like Stephen King like chugging through 10 pages a day like it's nothing. And that to me is pretty much insane. I mean, you have to imagine that like it's 10 pages, but it's probably only three good pages of like coherent thought. And then he's probably going through and doing such like, you know, I like I, I don't know what the good what the best terminology would be, but like like just spackling together the cracks of like what doesn't fit because you know like you said like unless he's a mad genius and can just you know dive into his mind palace to find all the facts and everything like that if you're doing 10 pages a day like even if you're an incredibly fast typist that is that is a lot that you're cranking out and like to keep it like on pace and everything just the thought of that is mind-blowing. Speaking I want to know how he doesn't get burnout. That's what I want to know. But Well, I can tell you early on it was cocaine. But uh... Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Funny enough, he does not remember writing Cujo. Like, he openly admits it. He's like, I finished that book within a week and a half, and yeah. I was at my most high on cocaine, where yeah. I was losing my sense of smell. Yeah. And it was his wife who had had an intervention. He was like, look, you got to choose. It's cocaine or me. And then he was – he said <laughs> – he jokingly said in interviews, like, yeah, I was pretty tempted at first, but then I just chose my wife in the end. I'm like, oh, good choice, man. <laughs> Solid choice there, Steve. Solid choice. Yeah, I, it, it's so funny when you, like, you hear these stories of all these artists. You know what I mean? Like, uh, what is it? What, like, uh, like Aerosmith and Poison the Attic, where, like, they were just blasted out of their minds the whole time they were recording that album. And then, you know, it it came out, it released, and... It has some of their best hits on it, but Steven Tyler is like on record being like, oh yeah, there was like, there was, there was weeks that I don't remember, but we recorded, you know, we recorded songs, wrote songs, sat there and had jam sessions, just like staying in a house essentially for like the better part of a year, you know, making this album. And you have to imagine that to an extent, it it's like that for, for authors where like, you know, if you don't, Ooh, yes. Enjoy anime month. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> Xbox, but um, you have to imagine for certain authors, right? They just they either have to get into a zone or they have a timeline that they have to stick by because if you don't have the timeline, you could just go forever and just keep writing and never finish the thing. And at, you know, at some point, you have to publish it and hopefully make some money. And so, you know, at some point, like like what do you tell yourself? It's like I've got one year, like one year to write this book, like from January 1st to December 31st, I've got this much time to get it written and then I'm going to get it published. Like, I guess if you set yourself a timeline like that, but you know, how long did it take him to write Cujo? That's not a long 
that's not a long book. It's actually very, it's actually a very thin book. He probably, especially being freaking jacked out of his brain on, on freaking Coke, he probably busted that thing out in like a week and a half. Yeah. I can imagine him curled up in a ball just in his underwear in like a basement dweller just <laughs> typing on his like 1990s computer, just slamming out geese. <laughs> it's oh, just crazy God. to think about. But so, so let, I'm actually really glad we had to, that we, uh, we started off with like talking about books and movies and, and things. I, I don't often get to talk about these kind of things because like the stuff I read now, it's hard to, uh, it's hard to find someone that's like really into it. Like I, now I like to read a lot of non, uh, like nonfiction. In fact, I found this series of books. Are you familiar with boss fight books? That sounds very familiar. Boss fight books. Where's that from? So it's this like series of books there that have been published and there's there's well over 30 there's probably 40 books in that series now at this point and it's all the different uh, authors which can be kind of difficult cuz like you're having to get used to different people's writing styles sometimes but eventually you get over it but what they do is like they do these deep like these deep dives like history wise like cultural impact and stuff like that on like different video games Oh were they the one who published that book on metal gear solid i believe i saw something yeah. like that where they, okay that's where they're from because i was about to say they had like some really cool like book on like like impact of metal gear solid on like video gaming as mm-hmm. a whole yeah like they've done one on like metal gear solid um sometimes people that are directly related to the or involved with the games write the books like the the one for shovel knight the author like directly interviewed the entire development team, which was really rad. Like he got like quotes from them and stuff like that. But then David, Yu, the guy who made Spelunky wrote the book for Spelunky. And oh, nice. Yeah. And it's cool. Cause like there's ones in there, like there's, you know, like I said, there's uh there's Metal Gear solid, there's earthbound, um, like Spelunky, Baldur's gate. And then like funny ones like Bible adventure. I can't wait to read that one. That was gonna be hilarious. <laughs> Was it Bible Adventure, Chrono Trigger, um, like Mega Man Two, Silent Hill? All, like, it's there's. Oh, speaking of Silent Hill, did you see the um, gameplay for Silent Hill Two Remake? I did not. I so oddly enough. Sorry, I, um, I was kind of nerded out there. I'm a huge Silent Hill fan as well, but <laughs> no, 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 I, and and that's cool. I just those games were never my my cup of tea. I like not that I had anything against them. It's just like. Like back in the early like PlayStation days, I played enough of the Resident Evil games to where I did not have any thirst for Silent Hill. And not even from like a story standpoint, it was just like the mechanics. Like if you play enough you play enough Resident Evil 2, you don't want to deal with tank controls anymore oh, yeah. in, in another game. I'm, and I was just like, Yeah, this is cool and like I'm pretty sure that you know the story is really neat, but like I would much rather play Banjo Kazooie. Oh, I love Banjo Kazooie too. But between <laughs> yeah. you and I, um, I'm pretty sure this new generation is very spoiled, and they don't know how bad. But it's like, oh, I had my youngest brother to play. I believe it was Resident Evil Zero. Oh yeah, and he gave up on it within like an hour playing through. And I'm like, what's wrong? He's like, I can't stand these controls. It's so clunky. Um. I'm over here about to like take my belt and slap my own brother. Be like, don't you dare disrespect <laughs> Resident Evil like that again. <laughs> But it, it's kind of like they don't know how good they have it type thing. I'm not trying to sound like a boomer saying that, but games have evolved very rapidly in mechanics and controls, but they have been deteriorating in stories, unfortunately. Oh, I mean, you're I mean, you're absolutely right when it comes to like what like I, I have two teenage kids, right? I got a 16 and a 14 year old. 
my 16 year old has taken a very sudden and fervent interest in like story heavy games but also she likes horror and so she asked to like i got the i finally caved in and did the dumb dad thing i got him a, a playstation 5 and my daughter was like i would love to play resident evil 8 and i'm like all right cool so i got a resident evil 8 and then she was just mainlining that game like like she beat that game in like five days which i wasn't expecting it to take her forever but she got through it pretty well and she's not used to like first person shooters. And so the fact that it was, you know, far and away different than what even the new resident evils are like now, I was like, huh? Okay. And then resident evil Two, the resident evil two remake came out on uh game pass. And I was like, Hey, if you like that game, you'll love this game. And so I downloaded it, booted it up. And so we're doing a, we're doing playthroughs where she's playing as Claire and I'm playing as, as uh as Leon and it's funny because she was like she like it, you know she took to it very fluidly and everything and I was like man I'm so glad they have like a 180 button like a 180 command in this game and she's like what do you mean and I was like dude like back in the day with tank controls if you wanted to turn around to engage a zombie that was behind you you had to like you know push left on the d-pad yep, and like turn it all the way yeah. around and you're you know then you're gonna draw the gun and maybe you've got time to put a couple shots in them but you're not gonna kill them because you know every zombie takes at least six bullets and it was just it was funny when i was explaining it to her and then i showed her a gameplay video of like original resident evil 2 and she was like this looks really rough and i'm like yeah kid like it's what they had to work with and she was like, why doesn't, like, there's no camera control at all? I said, no, it's a static camera. And she was like, that would drive me insane. I was like, yes, it did drive some of us insane. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, some of us didn't play Resident Evil 3. <laughs> you know what I mean? But then, like, my son, he, like, he wanted the PlayStation 5 because he wanted to play Spider-Man 2, which I get it. That game is rad. I have played it. I, it lives up to the hype. But that being said, I was like, yeah, this is way better than the first Spider-Man I played on the PS2. And he was like, what was that? What was that movie, uh, that game like? And I was like, here, let me show you. And I found a video of it. And <laughs> it's, you know, it's the air quotes here, Tobey Maguire, Spider-Man going through PlayStation 2 New York, which at the time, Spider-Man 2 on the PS2 was really cool. Like that game was rad. And I just remember like him watching the video and being like, wow, I'm really glad that I have the game I have. And I'm like, yeah, man, like, I'm glad it's funny you mentioned that too because my first Spider-Man that I was hooked on I thought was like top gen graphics was Spider-Man Web of Shadows. Do you remember that one? Mm -hmm. And our game was legit. I'm so upset because the only reason people know that game now is from the meme of like Spider-Man walking with his head down and everything's getting destroyed around him. And yeah. then my little brother's like, is that the meme Spider-Man? I'm like, oh my gosh, please. And then he'll watch gameplay. He's like, yeah, this game's like aged. And I hate <laughs> to say it, but like looking at some of the older games, some of them hold up very well i'd say banjo kazooie just because the art style holds up very well but other games are not as fortunate or as blessed unfortunately well i think it's funny what makes it and and not just in games actually this is actually a really good topic for all three of the things we talked about movies literature and and video games because we can definitely look back fondly on certain media right whether it's a movie or you know like one of your favorite books or you know any game or whatever but if you really look at it 
you can probably start to see the cracks and start to see like, ah, oh, man, this just, this, like, it was good at the time, but man, like looking at it now, I don't, I don't know how I thought this was good. Like the prime example is I like, I think the matrix movies are really good personally. Like I, I am unapologetically a fan of all of the media that has come out for the matrix. Right. But there's some of it that's pretty rough. Like you go back and you watch like the fight scene between that. It was the fight scene between it's been so long. Main character's name. He's Neo. Correct? Yeah. Neo. Neo versus like those hordes of like the Mr. Smiths. Oh yeah. The, yeah. The, uh, the, bur- the, the, bur- the, 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 yeah. yeah. The CGI just gets sloppier and sloppier and sloppier. And I'm like, Oh, it looks like they're just pool noodles running at him. I'm like, Ugh. yeah. I mean, and that's, and that's kind of what, it, but at the time, right. I saw that movie in theaters and it blew my teenage mind. I was just like, this is amazing. It was so because we didn't see CGI like that before. And now you go back and, and look at it and you're like, oh, my God, these guys like barely like each of these Agent Smiths has about 100 pixels and they are moving so fast. It's the only reason that you can't see any sharp edges, because, you know, at the time with the tech they were using to like render like fast moving images and stuff like that, for that many people doing all that bombastic crap. Like, I'm pretty sure that they, like, set computers on fire rendering some of that stuff, you know? And even with, like, like some games, like, like I have a buddy that at least, at least a couple of times a year talks about how he's pissed off that they're never going to make another uh, Siphon Filter game. And I was like, go back and play OG Siphon, Siphon Filter and tell me if that game really deserves like a like a a sequel or a reboot and he and like not even a week later he came back he's like man you're right that game's rough and i'm like yeah it like it was rough it was cool at the time and it was it was awesome to play and you know it's funny to tase a guy until he catches on fire like yeah that's a that's a thing like in a weird way i'm okay with that because granted i believe there's some games that do deserve a remake or remaster but i also believe some games should be left gracefully as they are because just for being such a monumental piece of like time for that so i guess an example i get a lot of hate for saying this in video game discourse but have you ever played conquer's bad fur day for example oh hell yeah they made one a new one in like 2013 2014 yeah for the xbox 360 no that one was actually made around like 2008 eight but that's the conquered live and reloaded they made one after that that no one knows about but if i know exactly it's so under the radar but if you look up you know conquer 2014 something around that time it's the most abysmal disgusting excuse of like just slop because rare doesn't have the licensing for it anymore it's nothing but a cash grab like conquer looks like a meffed out like squirrel basically instead of like you know the (laughs) how do you put it like you know little piece of shit he is and like the original and conquers live and reloaded but some games like i said i don't think they deserve a remake as just leave them as they are not because they're bad games just because they are what they are basically yeah and and i mean i definitely agree with you that like there are certain games that like you just need to leave them alone like i i have so many friends that like i'm a big fan of metroidvanias and i have a couple of friends that are like really pissed off when like Konami stopped making a lot of games and they were convinced that we would never see 
another Castlevania game. And they're huge fans of Castlevania Symphony of the Night. And I'm like, dude, you can go and play Symphony of the Night. Like, you know, you can find it anywhere. You can, you know, there are a lot of ways to do it, both legal and otherwise. Like, you can play that game. But if so if they went and remade that game, like Pete, like piece by piece, and you know, polish it up and put it up on like a new system, like let's say they release it for like the PS5 or something like that. I'm like, you would hate it. You would hate it because you're a grumpy late 30s man with not enough time and like with other things going on in your life. And suddenly someone re-released this thing that gives you that like little tinge of, of nostalgic joy and it will have ruined it for you. I was like, just enjoy the thing you've got. Just enjoy the fact that you can go back and play Symphony of the Night, relive those moments, run through the castle, run back through the upside down castle, defeat Dracula, and then go on with your weekend. Like, like some like some things you just kind of need to let lie, and that's fine. But there are other things, you know, on the inverse of what we're talking about that do deserve to have like some love put to them, and you know, to be maybe not like remade, but you know, at least carried forward. Like you said, like Banjo-Kazooie, like that's a game I, I showed my kids that when they were really little and they thought that game was hilarious. And I was like, yep, play this, have fun. And they had a blast. It has that unique rare humor you don't see in video games anymore. Yeah. And like, I, the only other one I could think of that has that fourth wall breaking slapstick humor that's riding the line between being slightly annoying but still funny has to be, I'd say Deadpool. But then Deadpool has been so overdone. Yeah. I just can't stand looking at any Deadpool media anymore because it's just obnoxiously in your face. I'm like, I don't want to be associated with this media anymore. Yeah, it's the whole like edge for edges sake thing. And you're like, please stop, please just. Yeah, it's like the Suicide Squad, for example. It's just so stupid. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, oh, man. Granted, I'm glad James Gunn did save and did a Hail Mary for that recent movie, but. New video game, for example, absolutely horrible. The first Suicide Squad movie was horrible. It's it's just an abysmal mess, basically. Yeah, it actually kind of bums me out that like the game is sorry, I'm trying to resize my camera here. People, if anybody's watching this video right now, they're like, why is he messing with the camera? It's because I can see the border. Anyway, um No, I mean you're right. And it's it's funny though, because when you look at uh like everything that's going on with that game and like what people are saying, it's just so many people pissed off at the fact that like it is exactly what they said it would be. And it's like, I don't know what you expected. Like this, they, they, you know, they, they wrote it on the box, what this thing was going to be. And now y'all are mad. Like, okay, that's fine. That, that's what I, that's what I find is funny. Everyone's like, can't believe it's this, you know, dumbass live service cash grab BS. It's like, yeah, that's that was the formula from the jump, and they said it was gonna be. And now all the reviews are basically, you know, revealing it to be that. And I was like, well, all right. I think another thing that made a lot of people upset was because one, the developers are Rocksteady Studios, the same people who brought us the Batman trilogy, you know, Asylum, Arkham Knight, Origins, and I would argue those games are up there as like some of the Hall of Famer games because mm -hmm. it's how diverse you are with your kit, basically. Mm -hmm. But like, and what made it worse was to kill like Suicide Squad, kill the Justice League was based in the Arkham universe. So, not to get in spoilers, but it's not really spoilers. But the game is called Kill the Justice League. Mm -hmm. What do you do? You kill the Justice League, and. 
it hurt a lot of fans the way Batman went out, for example, because it's like very disrespectful and ungraceful to a character you spent three games playing as and thinking, okay, I've won three games with this character through hell and back, and this is how he goes out. And I'm not going to spoil how he dies, but I'm not spoiling anything by saying like he does die because, of course, it's to kill Justice League, all of them die. But that's just something that's unfortunate to me. It's just the lack of like courtesy to the older generations, if you will. It's mm-hmm. kind of like, here's the new, we're replacing you type thing, which is unfortunate, but that's how it is. Yeah, it, it definitely is. It's weird when you look at the difference between like how a character goes out in different media and like how that's handled. Like, like for example, think of all the deaths that happen in a Game of Thrones. Don't even, don't even consider the show. Think of like the fact that George R. R. Martin wrote those characters to die and people get really you know get really attached to characters especially in literature right like think about all the kids that grew up reading harry potter like they become attached to those characters they read about and then in again in a series like game of thrones where no one is safe right something like let's say the red wedding rolls around and it's just this absolute bloodbath and you're just, you know, you're murdering off a score of well-beloved characters or at least liked, right? And you have to somehow, as the author, come up with a way to, if not gracefully, make their death matter. And it seems like, I don't want to say comic books like comic books don't do it because they will add gravity to like the departure of a character, but because it's comic books, they're probably coming back at some point. Right. Oh yeah. Like that's the thing about the, if, if you know, comic books, the biggest gag in it is that no one's truly dead forever in comic books. They're going to come back some way or another. So, but in video games, yeah. Game of Thrones doesn't have that luxury, but sorry, what were we saying? Oh no, I was going to say, but like in video games, they don't have to use kid gloves. They can just be like, yup, Batman's dead. And that's it. Like, there's no, there doesn't have to be a resolution. You know what I mean? Like, video games are are so, what's the word? Like, not, like I said, not precious with that kind of stuff. In so, like, okay, prime example, and spoilers for anybody who has not played The Last of Us 2, okay? Sorry. But you play through the, la- the first Last of Us game, right? You establish this bond between Joel and Ellie, all the things, the trials and tribulations they go through. It is horrendous right but they come out of the other end and they're not you know they're not better for it but <laughs> they come out the other end right and then fast forward to the last of us 2 and joel just gets swacked with a crowbar that's it done dead like no no love given to that character and then the way the story revolves around this like this revenge plot and everything like that just almost cheapens his death and it's like wow you you spent an entire game building up this like amazing duo of characters and then you just like you know take him behind the barn and like don't worry sweetie joel will be fine and that's it like man come on like and that's one of it's funny too and weird because a lot of people for example try to say like oh look at great games like halo reach a lot of those characters are killed uneventful like cat she was shot in the back. Um, I'd agree with you, but here's the difference from, let's say, a monumental video game like Halo Reach and Suicide Squad to kill Justice League. 
One is that the setting, you feel the weight of what war is, where you know you're part of a losing fight, and it's not can we win, it's have we lost, is the whole plot, basically, yeah. of Halo Reach. So you feel the emotional grip as you get attached to these characters, and you see war isn't some fun, kick-ass game. It's upsetting, it's depraving, it's depressing. You know, you're watching your comrades left and right drop like flies, some do get what they believe is an honorable death, like let's say George, who blew up one of the Covenant like carriers, yeah. but only for George went out like a boss. <laughs> yeah, George went out like a boss, and he, you know, he had the, I had argued the best death because he died thinking he saved Reach, and when in reality, Reach was going to be doomed to fall anyway. Yeah, and then you have uneventful deaths, like you know, like I said, Cat, where she's mid sentence and she gets sniped right in her spinal cord, she drops dead. Yeah, and. That, though, is okay because it's showing you in the setting, hey, this is what's going on, mm. compared to Suicide Squad where you get a couple chumps, basically, and they wipe the floor with a guy who you went through numerous, well, numerous hours of gameplay with, going through insurmountable odds and beating it and coming out on top, and you just wipe him like nothing, basically like a stain on a rug. Yeah. To me, that's disrespectful, where I'm like, dude, come on, really? <laughs> yeah, and, and, and you're right, and I, I think the other point to make when you're comparing something like the the Suicide Squad game and how nonchalantly they take out some of the most beloved characters in fiction and then like Halo Reach is like in like Reach is already a lost cause from the moment you start that game like from the first mission everything points toward there's no actual winning here like yeah are the Spartans like genetically modified pseudo cyborg badasses yep they are but can they defend an entire planet against a literal like galaxy spanning army? No. So like, you know, it, it constantly is like teasing the whole, like, well, there might be a way there might be a way. But then when you get to the end where typically in a first person shooter, right, you're going to, especially in the previous halo games, you're going to have some amazing set piece moment where you're going to come out as Billy badass surrounded by bullet casings and bodies but the only objective you get is survive. And then exactly. it, it's, it's just it's just you holding the controller. There's Noble Six. You're looking through the visor and you're like, oh, crap. And then you're just you're fighting for your life. And then eventually, eventually you fall. You know, what I mean, like, like there's actual gravity there to it. And the gravity lends itself to the story the way it's supposed to, because that's been the theme throughout. But especially in, the phenomenal musical score by Marty O'Daniel playing in the background and or O'Donnell, my apologies. But for audience member who isn't aware, I just want you to close your eyes and imagine this. You're in a brutal war against an alien species that beats you tenfold on every category imaginable. And as the end approaches, all of your friends die amongst you. But you ask yourself, what is this for? Is this for anything? You realize there's a small glimmer of hope where you're giving someone a special package that may win the war. And by doing so, you sacrifice yourself by being left behind. So you wander upon what is literally a graveyard of both Spartans, of both alien, with the cool sand brushing across your armor. And then you see Covenant Banshees coming in, which are carrier ships. And then you know this is it. This is the last moment. And as the combat continues, you chip more of your visor. You cannot see. There's more damage until you're done. Like, you have elites that overpower you, they jump on you, and fading away, you see a still image of your helmet with a cut in it, 
and it's remember reach and that to me is what makes halo reach particularly such a phenomenally well done story and i say is nothing short of the standard for how to properly kill off characters that actually like you said earlier brings emotion to the scene or to the play and you see this in literature you see this in films this is how you properly send off a character and that's why i love so much about it yeah that's i mean <laughs> i honestly couldn't have said it better myself like it's funny when you think about you know like so many of the of the other stories and games like if they have like legitimate weight to them when it comes to like the story they're telling and what your attachment is to either the setting or the characters like probably killing the character is the thing that you can do like that is probably the most important thing that you can do correctly in that context and and what i mean by that is like that's that's my big hang up with the last of us 2 and why i brought that up is like like yes does joel's death fit the setting yes because it's it's sudden it's brutal and it it almost has no it almost has no purpose there's almost no point but that is like the world that you know that they inhabit in that time so when it when it happens if you frame your mind like that it has the appropriate like emotional weight to it but at the same time it just feels like it it feels so gutting right but then you take you know something like to go back to to literature right and th this isn't spoiling anything but the end of the dark tower series feels fulfilling but it's almost telegraphed to the point to where you to where you dread it and and you feel like it's not justified like you feel like it is not what is actually supposed to happen like like as the reader but you understand that like it's what has to happen and so like the the difference there is like appropriately killing a character and making it fit the setting and the tone and like the the way you want the audience to feel especially in something like video games where the the audience is controlling the action potentially controlling that character and then in literature where like you're just along for the ride but you still feel invested and there's no there's no agency between you and the character all you can do is just observe and hope for the best and i feel like you know something like reach does it right and then games like i mean even not and i'm i'm only going to change it because i don't want to keep bagging on rocksteady but like you take um you take a game like destiny right where like destiny has like some of the best campaign stories i've played in a first person shooter in a long long time but they feel so hollow because like none of the guardians can actually die right and then for whatever reason because they just happen to work around it because of like you know plot loopholes and everything else like Cade six dies he's the only guardian that ever dies like permanently that's it everybody else is like well that's you know like we're all connected to the traveler we're all connected to the light so like if i biff it on this mission i'll just come back no big deal like it's... any last words yeah how's your mother doing <laughs> <laughs> oh man those are some of the best lines ever in a video game is and it's like you're sad, but you put a little smile on your face before he goes. It's like, ah, he went out like he would have wanted to go out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He, he died the way he lived, pissing everybody off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
but you know and again like in my opinion that's a good that's a good example of like you know uh exiting a character in a meaningful way at least it's something that like that fits like i guess narratively though there is some argument to whether or not Cade Six's death actually fits narratively, but I'm like, we're not here to like split the the nuance hairs of like, well, you know, like the traveler was like incapacitated, but it's like, nah, dude, just okay, whatever. Like Nathan Fillion didn't want to come back on for another game; they needed to kill the character. All right, fine, done. It's you know, just just call it what it is. Oh man, man, this is ah, oh, I'm I'm glad I got that out of my system. I haven't been able to talk games or actually books or anything with anybody for a while, so this is. It's good to get this no, out it's always fun system. talking about that. Like I said at the beginning of the podcast, I'm a man of many hobbies. So ask me anything, you'll be surprised type stuff. So, okay. So I, I want to give you a chance to plug your show because that's how you and I met was through our mutual friend, Joey. But because you host the show as well. That is correct. Um, I currently run Recran Radio. You could find us on YouTube and Spotify and on the blind knowledge's website it's a show i would like to say emulates close to joe rogan s style where my goal is to get as many different guests as possible from diverse backgrounds and have more of a mixture between an interview and a conversation of them and see how far we could go with the conversation so i've had everywhere from paleontologists on my show to oil rig inspectors to Funny enough, I'm getting a voice actor for Warhammer 40k on soon, and that's awesome. political theorists to authors. I have everyone and anyone on, and my goal is to eventually have a decently sized library where if you tune into my show, you can simply scroll through my catalog and find something that gets your interest, and who knows, maybe you'll explore and find something new. Right on, right on. So my understanding is like you have a pretty diverse team that helps you out as far as like you know, like making graphics and like, and audio editing and, and things like that. Did you, did you bring a team on because you like, you had a bunch of friends that were interested in doing it with you? Or was it like a, I need this, I need someone to help me with this process because I don't know it very well type scenario. I'd say a mix of both. So I originally funny enough, started up on Twitter spaces and that was something that was very much my niche. And in particular, I was interested in formalized styles of debate. So more preferably Lincoln Douglas Oxford style, which is very professional and formal. Because at the time of the political landscape, you had the whole Trump Biden stuff going on. People at their throat. It was very tribalistic. And I thought, okay, instead of a shouting match, I would like to organize an event where I have two people who are prestigious and almost treat dialogue like an art form, like a craft. And I want to have good dialogues where you could walk away saying, oh, I learned more from this conversation. I have roughly 40 debates I have moderated and hosted underneath my belt right now. And after a while, it was just a mix between burnout and a mix between me receiving death threats for hosting certain topics. I remember when I did one on Russia, Ukraine. I ended up having one of the guys who was supporting Russia. He did not tell me this in advance. I wasn't aware of, or I would have not included him on that. He had, I believe, a master's degree in geopolitics, while the other guy is a very passionate, like, pro-Ukraine dude who was a nice guy. But unfortunately, the pro-Ukraine guy got stomped so hard that I was getting sent death threats, people saying I'm a Russian asset, all these fun stuff like that. But 
Um, sorry, I'm going a bit off track, but no, you're fine. Eventually, yeah. Um, I kind of got a little burned out from people threatening me. Every other thing I was hosting, I became pretty controversial, and I realized that no matter what topics I could have on, it's just going to cause more divisiveness than it would growth, unfortunately. And I think I'm not dissing the entire field of debate entirely. I'm just saying for now, I don't believe some audiences are mature enough for it. So for now, I just do on my own personal YouTube channel, my private debates I host with some on theological topics or philosophical ones. But yeah, I ended up, funny enough, meeting Hazy Dialects, who is my co-host and a good friend of mine. And I enjoyed, you know, what he talked about, and he and I disagree on a lot of things, but I say he is the opposite side of the same coin as myself, where we work together and we cover each other's blind spots and backs where it need be. And after a while of us just having conversations off of random political things, I pitched him the idea like, hey man, I would like to do a podcast and see what venue that would lead us, because we've tried debates, I don't really enjoy it. Why don't we try showing some more positivity and getting interesting people on, for example? And we are currently on season three right now. We've done 12 episodes per season. So this is episode 26 is going to be published this Sunday, actually. So, but it kind of just built from there where me and Hazy are doing our thing. And then I end up getting an editor on for our video, someone who could clean up our, like, and ums, buts, all those, and get some out of the video. That's where explosives came in. I'm not going to use his real name online because he wants to remain anonymous as I self do. And he, he is very proficient, and he wants to study in IT when he goes to college. And who else? Let me think. There's Liminal. Liminal is the guy who does all of our artwork, and he's very proficient at that as well. I respect him a lot. He's a good guy. And finally is an account called Mr. Crafty. He is our fifth member of the team. He checks our algorithm. He checks our data. He checks the numbers. And he basically keeps a pulse on everything, if you will. So he's the glue to the team, I'd argue. But yeah, that's the whole crew at Rec Room Radio right there. Right on. That's cool that like you have a you've assembled your own Avengers, as it were, in order to to get the thing done. I, I definitely know that, you know, from my own side of things, like It'd be kind of lonely doing it solo <laughs> like even when you have guests and stuff like that like as much as i like doing the process you know what i mean like i enjoy editing i enjoy you know, like doing video i enjoy like you know setting up you know uh spots for guests or like doing interviews and stuff like that but like not having someone to like bounce ideas off of in order to you know just make sure i'm not losing my my mind when it comes to like an idea for something i i can definitely I can definitely say that I I kind of uh, I kind of envy the fact you have like a, a a cool team dynamic when it comes to your uh, your show. So you know, hats off, hats don't off to you guys. Wrong. Thank you, but don't get me wrong. It is not all sunshine and rainbows. Of course, like any team, we try to keep as business oriented as possible because the issue you run into podcasts, especially podcast communities, is that a lot of people, especially when you're on a team, thinks you know, hey, we're all buddy buddy. Which don't get me wrong, I believe it's very important to have friendships, but know at the same time why you're doing this and i tell people especially for viewers listening and if you want to start a podcast i need you to ask yourself this question it's one do i see this doing do i see myself doing this in a long time or long term two 
am I going to be able to be efficient and like uploading and doing something repetitively? And three would have to be, am I going to be okay not making money on it? And I'd say the fourth and final one could be, oh, I just blanked on it. My apologies. Oh, no, it's fine. I mean, I imagine I love it's... when it happens when you just blank like mid live on podcast. <laughs> no, you're fine. But... Trust me, if I had if I had a dollar for every time I lost the thread, I could probably make a sweater. But um, no, like, I, and and I think the point you're trying to get at though is like being okay with the fact that like you're not always going to get along with the people that you're working with because everybody has different ideas, everybody has different you know thoughts on how to do a thing, and at some point you're going to butt heads. But also being Professional is probably not the right word, but like being courteous enough to like be like, hey, listen, let's just talk this out and try and find a middle ground, something that works for both of us. And if not, then maybe we just don't do this at all. Maybe we shelf it and we'll return to it when we have a bit of a a, a clearer head about the the conversation. You know what I mean? No, definitely. Oh, I remember the fourth thing. Nice. Um, fourth, are you okay taking criticism? Because oh, you'd yeah, be surprised. Yeah. I'm sure you yourself, I'm not going to name any names, but we've interacted. Thankfully, none of them are on blind knowledge, but yeah, other podcast groups who are very headstrong and being like, okay, I'm not going to listen to any criticism. You're all attacking me. I'm like, no, I'm genuinely trying to help you. Like you should consider doing this or this. Yeah. And your numbers are horrible. They're not uploading on time. They're uploading like once a month and they're complaining. Why did no one watch my podcast? I'm like, buddy, like I listened to an episode and she rambling for 30 minutes and shutting the mic off and you took a whole month to do that <laughs> yeah and and, and it th- that's definitely something that like i've had to like come to terms with is like when i first started doing this like i've been doing this off and on in some capacity for like almost a decade and i can tell you that i have made a grand total of 25 dollars, like like from actual ads from like the whole nine yards of like that that was my version of making it big and that was a completely separate project something that was completely unrelated and it was it was in, it was incredible at, to me at the time, but one of the things that I had to learn early on was like I did not know everything, and if you're gonna ask someone a question, you need to actually be receptive to their answer, and so exactly. it was a thing of like I was talking to a buddy of mine that was really good with audio, and he was explaining to me he was you know you know tell me what I was doing wrong and you know explaining stuff and like at first you know. I'm not, I'm not gonna lie. The first time that he was explaining stuff to me, like I kind of took it, kind of took it a little bit to heart. And I was like, I don't believe you. And then, <laughs> you know, after a while, I of, think uh, thankfully our military backgrounds as well, I'd say it helps a lot in taking criticism because yeah. in that field, you get used to taking a lot of criticism. And yeah. And sometimes completely unwarranted <laughs> criticism. Sometimes, <laughs> oh, yeah. sometimes you're just getting yelled at because you're there, but no, but, but you're right. But then, you know, after a moment you're taking, you know, and, after going back and looking at it again, take a step back and be like, no, he's right. I, I should probably do X, Y, and Z. You know what I mean? Like, like being in a space, like you said, where you are consistently interacting with people that are subject matter experts. Like the last thing you want to do is be the dude in the room. That's like trying to armchair quarterback while the guy who knows what the hell he's talking about is actually up there talking, you know, like that's, that's never a position I want to be in. I never want to be the guy. It's like, well, you know, I have a pretty good idea. It's like, that's great. No one cares. Take notes. Like, yeah, so it's a. I would say to throw a bone too for the audience. One last thing: ask yourself this question as well: Am I doing this podcast for a passion project, or am I looking to make monetary gain? Because if you're looking to make monetary gain, 
get used to holing in and doing this for the long run. I'm sure <laughs> a lot of people would agree on that. Yeah. But if you're doing it as a passion project, just have fun, you know, enjoy yourself, like enjoy the road. Yeah. I mean, if I'm being quite frank, I started this, I started Thoughts in Traffic because I needed a creative outlet and I had not been, I had not worked on a project in a long time. And the project that I had worked on, I realized I had, I had made it into work. Like I had, made it into a second job and I got to the point to where like, I wasn't enjoying it as much anymore. And I was like, no, I need to, I need to stop this. And so I, I had done 102 episodes of that show and I finally got to the point. I was like, all right, I'm going to shelf this. We're done. It was a good run, had a good time, but I'm done. And then when I got this started, I was like, all right, this is just going to be me talking about what is on my mind and talking about that stuff to other people and getting to know other people and getting their takes and seeing if I'm actually insane. And it turns <laughs> and it turns out that one, I'm not. And two, that it's actually a lot more fun to just actually sit around and have these conversations and sometimes have, you know, serious conversations. Like I'm not trying to do all kids gloves of like, oh, we only talk like video games and anime and da da da. Like, all right, that's cool. But also like, you know. I, I talk about my community around here and like what's going on and the things that bother me and what's going on in the world and what bothers me there. I try to avoid politics because that just turns into like tribalistic point, you know, finger pointing at some point. And I, I would prefer to talk about like issues that affect humanity instead of issues that affect political parties. So when we're, when I finally got that, mission statement rolled out and figured out I was like yeah this this is great and then I just started doing it and like yeah it, it's it, it's like you said though like am I doing this to make money no like if I ever got if someone ever cut me a check to do this show that'd be fantastic and that would be that would be rad but at the end of the day like this is just me sitting here and just going over what's in my brain and getting it out there and it's nice to be able to do that and it's nice to be able to do that with interesting people no, definitely. That's something I enjoy, too. And uh, apologies if we turned this episode into talking about games and literature, I guess. No, no, no. As, and that's fine. Yeah, man. We just move around. No, no. And, but, and, and that's fine. Because, like, I mean, like, you're not local to me. So me being like, yeah, like, I can't believe they have been freaking working on these potholes for three weeks and nothing's got fixed. Like, that doesn't affect you. And you can, you don't have a whole lot of input on that. But at the same time, you know, like, we can still have an interesting conversation and and getting to know you as a as a creator and as a host of your own show on the blind knowledge network is something that i wanted to do too it's interesting to me i'm sure it's interesting to at least three people out there in internet land right now and so you know it's it, it, it this is still a worthwhile venture for me and still is like in the fulfilling aspect of the creative process for me you know what i mean no i definitely get that and i'd say for me as an individual and a person though I get what you're saying about the whole politics stuff, but I look at it like so, if you don't mind an analogy. Sure. I see politics to be almost like boxers. And what I mean by that, if you watch a sport boxing, you notice certain professional athletes in this line of work are good at some things and bad at other things. So Mike Tyson, he had a very strong left hook. But he was very weak on his right foot rotation. That's what got him knocked out in one of his bouts when he was younger. 
you have Muhammad Ali, very fast on his feet, very light. But the issue, he didn't throw any solid hits. So if he went up against a guy like Joe Frazier, he'd not be able to knock him down. What I'm getting at is I view politics in the same lens. Then, okay, any ideology has its strengths and weaknesses. If you want to understand an ideology and be actual genuine with it, you need to fully accept, like, okay, this is the strength of this idea. These are the weaknesses of this idea. Because I don't believe there's ideas that exist that are 100% horrible or 100%, you know, perfect, for example. Because if you do, that's called dogma, as in, you know, it's unquestionable. And it's unfortunate. That's why you see some extremists, how they say, like, oh, I can't wait for America or whatever country to collapse so my ideology could rise up. I'm like, you sound like a LARPer. <laughs> I'm trying not to sound blunt to anyone who is subscribed to an extreme ideology, but I'm not going to take you serious as a person. And I always say, don't underestimate your opponent, but also don't be afraid to like read into things or like look into like different ideas and challenge yourself because like boxing too, what do they do to get better? They train, they spar. And I say, you want to get a respectable per opponent not an opponent who's going to slip an elbow and like try to break your nose while you're sparring with him. You don't want to get a guy who's just not there to have a conversation or trying to play dirty with you. Like, generally get someone who's good. Like, example, Hazy and I, I love Hazy to death. We disagree on a lot of things, but we're both respectable at the end of the day where we could go back and forth from conversation on things. And I enjoy that because I felt that my views have been strengthened because of his, and his views have been strengthened because of mine. So that's how I put it like that in regards to politics. Yeah, and I mean, not to say that there's like no fruitful conversation to be had, like when it comes to talking about politics, it's a, it's understanding where the line of civility is in that conversation. And I feel like if you don't know your audience, or in, I guess to piggyback on your analogy, your opponent, and not knowing where they view that line of civility, like it can get... It, it can turn nasty really fast. And that's what I, I like to avoid. Like I, like I have family members that I have political conversation with more often than I care to admit. I would never bring them on to this show because I know the things that they say. And I, and I don't want to get into that argument because it's not, it's not going to lead anywhere because I'm not going to yield and they're not going to yield. And regardless of which side you think is right or wrong, if we're just spiraling into a circle, you know, like the, the, was it the mental mosh pit that is freaking, you know, two people just yelling at each other, not wanting to accept the feet. Like it's a, it's a, it's a mute point. So I, I try to avoid it in the context of like the content that I'm creating because I don't want to have to do so much deep diving on a person to figure out where they sit on those lines. Like it, like to be fair, and I mean, for being completely blunt and and honest, like if it was just you, me, we're sitting here talking on Discord, like the like the mics and the cameras are off, and it's just you and I having a conversation. Sure, man, we can talk it. I don't mind, but like in this context, I don't like. I, like I said I don't want the the show to turn into an hour and a half of like that that mental mosh pit I was talking about, where you're just going around in circles. You know what I mean? Yeah, I understand that, and. I guess to reiterate too, I'm not trying to advocate for anytime you're getting ready to speak for a person, you like <laughs> psychoanalyze them. Please do not do that. Normal people do not do that. That's weird. What I was gesturing towards is more if you want to get into the realm of politics, like anything, you'd want to be good at it. Same as if you were to play soccer, 
No one walks into playing soccer saying, I want to be bad at soccer. They say, I want to be good at soccer. And this applies for anything in life for humans. Like, you don't walk into your job saying, ah, today I want to be horrible at my job. No one does that. You say, I want to, like, do a good job today. I had an old commander who used to say that. No one wakes up in the morning <laughs> yeah, and say, no commander ever said that. Yeah. Yeah. No, like, so, like, he used to say that. Like, I, like I'd, I'd have a bad day or whatever. And he'd be like, he'd be like, Spears, listen, no one wakes up in the morning and say, and tells themselves they're going to suck shit today. He was like, you have bad days, dude. It's fine. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> it's just, it's funny you yeah, said that. But, yeah, no, I guess what I'm getting at, oh gosh, I'm talking like an officer now, but <laughs> no, yeah, you're fine. I guess what I'm getting at is if you want to get into politics, I'd recommend reading. And a lot of people don't do that because unfortunately reading can be boring for some people and they find it more interesting to yell, shout, and scream and curse, which yeah. those people we see as idiots and I do not entertain idiots. And same as you do not throw pearls to swine. You do not waste your time with those people. But if someone is genuine, empathetic, and willing to actually have conversation, I see no harm or hostility towards that. But yeah, that's just my general view on politics. No, no, no. I, I get it. And I 100% respect it, man. Like, it's just something that, like, I don't I don't dabble it in enough, in enough like, you know, it's it, it's like you said. Like, I'm not going to bring someone on this show that is like the Michael Phelps of like political discourse when I don't even know how to doggy paddle. You know what I mean? So no, of course I a hundred percent understand that. Yeah. And not everyone don't see that as another thing today. Media today shoves politics so hard down people's throats. It irritates me because look, I don't believe everyone's meant or sued for politics. Same as I don't believe everyone's meant or sued to be an artist or myself, for example, not everyone's meant to be a tech bro. Hence why I have a team that covers my blind spots or weaknesses for that, because I'm not good at technology. And that's okay, though. That's, I think, should, sorry, I don't think society should shun people who simply say, I'm not interested in politics, or I do not care enough to read into it. And I feel like we're so wired to think someone's like either closeted, like secret ideology, or they're a horrible, apathetic person. It's like, no, they just like simply know this stuff is above their pay grid. Why should they speak on it? Which I don't see anything wrong doing, if you will. Yeah, it's like uh, anything. I'd have a lot more respect for that guy than, like I said earlier, the guy who's just blabbering, screaming, cursing, swearing, and acting like a tribalistic ape. Yeah, I mean that's. I I often tell people is like if I don't know something, I'll let you know. If and I will only tell you enough. Like, uh, well, I, I what's well, the best way to put it? If I don't know, if I just flat out don't know something about a subject, I will let you know. If I know something about the subject, I will tell you what I know, and then I'm going to shut the hell up and let you talk. Like, explaining my, uh, like, prime example, my son had a had a science test, and they're talking about, um, like, uh, gravitational force and how it affects the weight of mass, right? And the only reason I know any of that is because I took a uh, astronomy class where I had to calculate like the different weight values of objects and stuff like that on like Roa and like different like moons of major planets in the solar system. Right. And so when I was breaking it down to him of like how you calculate the weight of something on like the moon, his like mind was blown for a half second, but he was like, dad, how do you know this? And I was like, I took a class, bud but I don't know like how to calculate the velocity of Jupiter going around the sun. I just know what I know. And so I'm explaining it to you. So whenever I get into conversations with people that are like, you know, 
experts in something or they just know you know they're passionate and they know a lot about a thing right like i'm not gonna sit here and be like oh yeah you know george rr R. martin i i love the the you know game of thrones series and what he did for you know the the world of literature and da, da, da. like no like i like the tv show i never read the books so i'm not gonna sit here and tell you that i'm like a, a you know professional and expert on the works of George R. R. Martin. I will tell you, is like I thought the show was cool. I thought they killed off freaking Sean Bean too quick, but hey, that's just me. <laughs> that was sorry, not to not to completely uh, divert this, but like I knew that show was going to be something when I was like, man, they got Sean Bean in this. That's awesome. Like he's a great actor. And then it gets to the end of that first season, you're like, no, no, they wouldn't kill him, right? And then you're like, oh no, Sean Bean dies in everything. He is going to die. <laughs> Sure That's enough, thank you. Special just die and everything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um, okay, so to to wrap this up though, Sola, and I want to say thanks again for coming on the show. You've been an amazing guest, and I look oh, forward you, to listening to I your show to some mention, more. Sorry about that. I forgot to mention. Oh, no. If you want to continue going, I'm more. I have free time to do so. Also. Well, no. So actually, I uh, I do have. Or do you uh, wrap up at an hour? My apologies. Oh no, no, no. Yeah, I, I try to keep it about an hour. I have uh, I have other people that uh, are vying for my time. I'm very popular. No, I'm just oh, like Mr. my popular. No, it's just my uh, my my girlfriend is very understanding that this is my creative outlet, and so I come in here and I I do my little recordings and everything, and but she really really wants to watch uh, a movie with me tonight and like cuddle on the couch and, man, and all that man. jazz so i'm gonna make good <laughs> yeah exactly so i'm gonna well, you're always welcome on my podcast as well by the way we can discuss that in the future i'd love to have you on right on i i would uh, be honored but i do want to leave on a on a on a high note so <clears throat> you mentioned that you're getting a 40k voice actor onto your show Ooh, yeah for the new grimdark video game okay and for sake of surprises, because a good surprise is a kept surprise, I will not be revealing his name at this moment. All right. But for the audience who's listening in, I hadn't even announced this on my main channel as well, by the way. Ooh, so this breaking is news! Yeah, but um, I would hint that he plays one of the general commissars in Grimdark. Ooh. Or that should be pretty interesting, I'm looking forward to, but... He, I very much enjoy his work. He's a very standing guy, and I talk to him privately. He's a great dude. But I look forward to having one in the future, but for now, I'm not going to reveal his name just yet. So my question, though, is do you like 40K? Uh, got to look over at my 900-point army right now. And okay, ask. so <laughs> what... Oh, man, so what army do you run? I run... Two armies, actually, the Fallen Angels and Thousand Suns. Uh, one for Chaos and one for the Imperium. All right, so, so you're so, so I take it that that is your favorite loyalist chapter. Yes, a hundred percent. Okay, and your favorite uh, traitor chapter. Of course, because mainly I love Magnus. Uh, um, well, I mean, Magnus I mean, I mean, we all know Magnus did nothing wrong. But yes, of course he didn't do anything wrong. Yeah, I yeah. blame the space wolves. They're just furries that are homosexuals. But <sighs> okay. that's a different story for a different day. Well, okay. So I am a devoted son of uh uh Roboto uh Gulliman. Oh nice, nice. Yeah, I, Luke, uh, that's you. Yeah, a lot of people don't like whenever I get in the 40k uh conversations with people and I tell them that I like the ultramarines. They're always like, why? They're so boring. And I'm like, bro, 
Like I don't see them as boring. I see them if it's not broken, why fix it? They're I, fine the way they are. <laughs> like yeah, I I like the Ultramarines because in a in a universe and setting where everything is tainted, even the good guys. Like I mean, you know, air quotes here, good guys, right? Because there's no actual good guys in the Warhammer universe. Like it's just it's just different. It's just different uh, flavors of either like like dictatorship, authoritarianism, or just like straight up you know, murder mayhem. And like, it's beautiful. That's yeah. why I love Warhammer 40k. <laughs> but the the Space Marines and the uh and what's it called and the Ultramarines specifically are probably the closest thing to like dudes just trying to do the right thing. And so I like I gravitate toward that. Aside from like the salamanders, because at least the salamanders go out of their way to like save civilians and like they have families and stuff. So that's cool. Like, you know, it's it's always nice to think of a giant nine foot tall super soldier clad in like three tons of armor as like having a wife and kids. But at the same time, like trying to humanize the space marines to that extent doesn't really vibe with me. Cause at the end of the day, like if you are going to be the last bastion of humanity against what is you know, arguably one of the most like jacked up versions of the universe's boned and we're all going to die anyway. <laughs> the, like the Ultramarines are probably the best example of that because at the end of the day, you need that protector to have nothing on his mind except protecting humanity. So that that's I what... find it funny too as well um, that you have Golden Boy Gillian going up against the abomination of his traitor legions where all their Primarchs are corrupted. But like you said, definitely... Everyone's gonna die, but some of us are gonna have more fun dying than others. I'll put it that way. That's Warhammer 40k in a nutshell. You know what's funny is um <laughs> like one of my best friends, like he's um he is a like a huge Chaos Space Marine fan, and like specifically the uh the Plague Marines, right? And it was funny because I was like, why? Like that like they're gross and like that like they're just aesthetically I don't dig them, you know what I mean? And for a lot of 40k aesthetics is a big thing and he was like because if the whole universe is going to be on fire i want to play the faction that's having the most fun with the matches and the plague marines are that and i was like you know what man i can't i can't argue with that i you know it, with that mentality i would pick orcs but whatever i mean yeah go <laughs> go with the chaos gods yeah, i guess orcs are just a meme i love them so much yes yeah. Oh, really quick before I know you have to go. I'm sorry about. Oh, no, this, no, you're did good. You see, did you see they recently released a new Fulgrim model for the um Slanesh's group? I did. The uh, Dark Eldars. Wait, what? Sorry, my apologies. Fulgrim. He is the Primarch for Slanesh, but what is his army again? They're uh the uh oh my gosh, it's not the Emperor's Children, is it? Hold oh, on. it is the Emperor's Children. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, because they're quote unquote beautiful, but yeah, yeah, I'd recommend looking that up because his model actually looks really sick. He has a huge snake tail and like six arms with swords and stuff like that. Nice. Yeah, I I haven't pulled the trigger on an army yet. I've read so many of the books. I it is almost it's almost embarrassing how much 40k literature I've read. I have read over the course of time, but yeah, that's uh, it's it's good to know you have your heart in the right place with the uh, you know, with the loyal factions. I totally understand your pick of the Thousand Sons because, like, like they're probably one of the most you like aesthetically unique armies in the entire game, like hands down. And 
you know they play so differently too over tabletop and that's why i love them so much too. yeah not the strongest but they're not the weakest but if put in the right hands and you have a good strategy they could be a real pain in the ass to go up against yeah at least you're not like oh i like to play the towel it's like mm, okay no one likes to play those space commies they're disgusting no yeah and and all you have to do like i think one of the funniest things i've ever seen in my entire life was there's a there's a game store i'll i'll, I'll end out with this there's a game store in the town here where i live and they do tabletop 40k a couple times a month and i went in there one day because i was uh looking to buy like <clears throat> first set of dice for my kids for their very first D D campaign oh nice so i'm in there and i'm talking to the owner of the store and they're setting up in there and i was like oh who's running uh games tonight and he was like oh there's a couple of guys that are gming um uh like basically a blood feud between these these two dudes and I was like, oh, yeah, what do they run? And he was like, well, the one guy, he runs Tau. And I was like, really? And he was like, yeah, he absolutely loves him. He's pretty good, too. And I was like, okay. I was like, what about the other guy? And he's like, orcs. And I was like, ooh, <laughs> ooh, that's going to be a rough time. Discussion, orcs. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, that's going to be a rough time, huh? And he was like, oh, yeah. He was like, everybody's money is on the orcs. And he was like, but. One of my favorite moments. Uh, I was <laughs> invited over, and I was hanging out with one of my NCOs. And we were at his place doing a warhammer you know tabletop got plastered it was pretty fun and <laughs> he was playing orcs and he had the audacity to bring a 40 set dice and he might as well have had a bucket to put him in and we rolled him on the table and for people who don't know why orcs are the bane of everyone's existence it's because if they roll a one they get re-roll so let's say he chucks the dice and he throws like 40 dice on the table Good chance, like, for him, because I think he was, like, weighted dice or something. 20 of those dice would be ones, and he get to roll 20 dice all over again to do more damage. So, all mm -hmm. fun. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah, it's definitely a cool hobby, but an expensive hobby. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, it's plastic crack for a reason. Yeah, exactly. If you play, if you, uh, if you play tabletop uh, strategy games, it's a really good chance that you don't have enough money for drugs, kids. So, oh, yeah. Play, play Warhammer. But anyway. <laughs> That is going to do it for us for this week on uh, Thoughts and Traffic. I want to say thank you again, Sola, for coming on. It's been a pleasure. I, I look forward to having you on again. And, you know, anytime you guys want me to slip on through uh, Requiem Radio, you let me know. But uh, real, but a pleasure being on your show again. Thank you for having me. But uh, uh, real quick, though, before we leave out, uh, uh, plug your show, play what you got, tell people where they can find you. Oh, thank you. So um, on Twitter, you could find me under the same handle, Sola Recream. That's spelled S-O-L-A underscore R-E-Q-U-I-E-M, Requiem. And that's basically where you could find that handle under any platform. And if you're looking for my podcast, just type in Requiem Radio. So same as the first ones, it's Requiem underscore radio, and you can find us. Right on, right on, man. All right, that's going to do it for this week. Thank you all very much for coming in. I love the fact that the Army produces... The Army doesn't produce nerds. Nerds are so open in the Army. I think that's one of the best things oh, about yeah. it. It's amazing. Yeah. But, so yeah, Thank you again. So from two former active duty nerds, thank you very much for watching. Have yourselves a lovely week. And I will see you later. Bye-bye.
You know what's cool? Podcasts. You know what's not cool? No podcasts. Check out all the podcasts over here at blindknowledge.com. This podcast you're listening to right now is a featured Blind Knowledge podcast.